Appreciate you all joining me and braving the weather. Uh, good morning to everyone who's watching from home or wherever they might be and everyone in the congregation uh, up inside keeping warm. Uh, the main text that we're going to speak on today is Isaiah chapters 11 and 12. And so the context of Isaiah and kind of the story arc of Isaiah is basically the first part is, is God's judgment upon Isaiah. And then there's hope and restoration fulfilled uh, towards the end of the book. But all throughout Isaiah, uh, there's these pepperings and these sprinkles of hope and encouragement and promise. And so basically, Isaiah uh, is a prophet of God who is commissioned by God to send a message to his people. And Israel is guilty of rebellion. And their rebellion is basically... Uh, idolatry. So they have decided instead of trusting in God's love, instead of trusting in God's provision for the things that they need, uh, they have utilized their own resources. They have looked for other nations to be their deliverer, uh, to make allegiances, to, to be rescued from oppression, and ultimately to try to find satisfaction in life. Now, whether it's thousands of years ago, the people of Israel, or this morning or tomorrow, this is a very similar story when I look into my life and when I look into other people's lives. That so frequently, um, chapter 9, 9 sums it up. It says, because of pride and arrogance of heart. Verse 13 says, they did not turn to God or inquire of him. So, so many times we get through the uh, into the rhythms of life, and we begin to just look to our own resources or other people to fulfill everything that we need. And so at this time, it's gotten to such a point that God says he's going to judge his people Israel. And he's going to do that using Assyria and eventually Babylon. And so it says, the godless and evildoers began to speak disgraceful things. So we recognize, as is often the case in Israel, when they began to turn towards other things, when they were guilty of idolatry, when they set up uh, in their own hearts that they were going to find their own way and mistrusting God, uh, disgraceful things came out of their mouth. And in chapter 9, 19 and 21, it says, they devoured each other, ne never satisfied, devouring their own. And so we get this picture in Israel, as I think is the situation oftentimes in our world today, that when we try to satisfy ourselves by our own means, we begin to hurt one another. We begin to devour each other, and yet it says they were not satisfied. So because of all this, God is going to judge Israel. Now the interesting thing is after he uses Assyria to judge Israel, he says then he's going to place judgment on Assyria, because Assyria is a godless nation. And so you see the sovereignty of God trying to accomplish what he always does, is convince us that he loves us and that he's for us and that he is good. Now when we think about the judgment of God, oftentimes we get a little prickly and a little bit defensive. I know in, in my case, all of a sudden it's, well, you judge me, I'm going to judge you, right? But we need to recognize, guys, judgment is just. Quick little story, we have some law enforcement officers that go to our church, and imagine uh, about a month ago I'm driving and I'm going... 80 and a 65, and I get pulled over, and the officer comes up, and he says, Nick, hey, how you doing tonight? You in a hurry? Slow down, man. You can't be going that fast. And I say, okay, 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 thanks. He's like, I'm going to give you a warning, but you got to slow down. All right. On I, on I go. A couple days later, get pulled over again. Same officer comes up and says, you are killing me. You're speeding again. You've been drinking tonight? 
Nick, we got a problem. You can't be doing this. You're putting your life in danger. You're putting other people's lives in danger. We need to take this seriously. And I say, okay, okay, okay. All right, get home. Two days later, I get pulled over again. Same violations. Officer says, you're not listening. You're not changing. You're not heeding my advice. If I say, whatever, man, I'm going to do what I want when I want. Now, how many of you out there are thinking, man, this officer is a power monger. This officer is just throwing his weight around trying to ruin people's day. No way. He's trying to protect and love me. He's trying to love and protect others around them. And so when he is executing right judgment for violations, we recognize and understand this is my heir. Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And how often is this the case? That our own folly cause ruin in our lives or other men's folly cause ruin in our lives and yet we shake our fists at God. Now I understand that trying to grasp the sovereignty of God in a broken world can be difficult. But one thing I want to promise you is God is not at fault for the pain in your life. God is not at fault for the pain in your life. He works in the middle of that pain but so many times All of us have such problems and we get into such sticking points with God because we think ultimately he's out there to harm us, to hurt us. He is not. So the judgment of God isn't his final word. It's his saving is. And so in the book of Isaiah, we recognize that God's going to use this judgment to purify his people. It's considered in Isaiah a purifying fire that is going to cause Israel to stop with their pride and their arrogance and stop their waywardness and be repented. And it says, turn back to the Lord for deliverance. In Isaiah 10, 20, it says, Israel will return to the Lord. And so this is for Israel's sake, but it's also right in line with God fulfilling his covenant promises. So in 2 Samuel 7, God promises that a future king will come from the line of David. Isaiah will be obedient to that covenant. That's Exodus 19. So in other words, God's going to show himself in such an undeniable, beautiful way that Israel is going to recognize his goodness and trust in his love and in response to that will obey his commands. And I honestly believe that perhaps the only actionable expression of my love for God is my obedience to God. It is me saying, I trust that you love me And I trust in your promises. And therefore, in response to that, I will obey you. That's how we express our love for our creator. He also promises in Genesis 12 that God is going to bless the nations. And so the primary focus of chapter 11 and 12 is Isaiah and Israel and the surrounding nations. But you see in the book of Isaiah, all of these promises to all the nations. And we'll we'll unpack that a little bit later. So in... uh, chapter 11, we begin to read about this hope. We begin to read that in the midst of this judgment and in the midst of this rebellion, God promises hope. And so in chapter 11, we get this imagery kind of throughout Isaiah, where basically there's this imagery of a tree, uh, which is Israel, and there's this imagery of of an axe and burning and destruction, which is God's judgment via the, the surrounding nations. And so chapter 11 picks up with this promise of this, this bud from the line 
of David. This promise that there is going to be hope and restoration that comes. And it gives this description of Jesus without using his name. And then it introduces or, or brings in the Trinity. So we got the Father promising through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And it says there's this, this Messiah, this Savior that's going to come. This man that's going to come. And that man, the Spirit, is going to be upon him. And he is going to be an advocate for the poor and the meek. And he's going to be righteous. And he's going to be faithful. And so this is about a thousand years before Christ is born that Israel is set up to look for a deliverer, look for a Messiah, look for a Savior, look for a Redeemer. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, we get the, the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, and he promises that God will come. In chapter 9, we get this freedom from oppression promised by God. And so really, you start to see the gospel unpacked in the book of Isaiah. Basically, where God reigns, deliverance comes. Where God reigns and his kingdom is established, oppression begins to disappear. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And under his authority, there will be no end to peace. And so recognize the story arc here, right? And my mind fast forward immediately to when Christ did come. And whether he's preaching on the Sermon of the Mount or whether he's walking uh, into the tabernacles that day. And constantly he's saying, the good news is this. The kingdom of God, in other words, where God is king in your hearts, in your homes, in your cities, in your countries, in the world, where God is king, peace and harmony are established. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus Christ came to usher in, whether it be in Isaiah's day or in ours, our day. I think this is summed up in the promise Isaiah eleven nine says, There shall be not hurt, or destruction in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord produces no hurt. The knowledge of the Lord produces no destruction. So in chapter 11, we begin to focus in, and God gives a message of restoration to the people of Israel. 11.11 11 says, he will recover a remnant. 11.12 says, he will assemble the banished. He will gather the dispersed. We use the language, I was lost and now I am found. I was an alien and now I am a son and a daughter. Promises of hope and restoration. But it's not just for the nations. I counted in the book of Isaiah 16 times where it used the language, or not just for Israel rather, it uses the language of all people, all nations, all the earth. And so scripture promises throughout all, and we see the fruition of this come later on in the New Testament where Jesus says, I have a people that are not of this fold. Yes, I'm going to save Jerusalem, but I'm also going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. In fact, I'll bring salvation to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sins. And we are beautiful benefactors of God's grace and of God's mercy. And we are called to go forth and to express that to the world. Isaiah 49.6 says, The Lord says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept? 
but I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So what's our response? What's Israel's response? In chapter 12, we get their beautiful response to God's mercy, to God's grace, to God's faithfulness. And when you think about it, in God's mercy and in his grace and in his faithfulness, that is the product of salvation. Or that, rather, produces salvation. And so there's three things that stand out to me as I read uh, Isaiah chapter 12. First is this heart of thanksgiving. Their first response to God's grace and mercy and salvation is a thankful heart, is a thankful attitude. And that thankful heart and thankful attitude produces praise. Number two, when my heart ponders the things that God has done for me, how good he is to me, there's a natural expression of praise to God. Whether that be in song, whether that be in word, how you respond to questions, how you give hope for your life, whether that simply be in how you go about each moment of your day that we as Christians ought to express praise throughout all of our lives. So a thankful heart produces actions of praise. And in my experience in, in chapter 12, you get this expression of inner joy. That thankfulness and praise results in joy. And I believe joy is contagious. You be around joyful people, you surround yourself with joyful people, and when their joy and when their hope is in the Lord, you start to ask questions. How do I get some of that? And this is what we as Christians ought to be known for, is thankfulness, praise, and joy. And I think when Jesus says, I will draw all men unto myself when I be lifted up. Yes, he's talking about when he's lifted up on a cross, and that is the culmination of his work of love and sacrifice to restore. But I also believe when we lift up Christ high with our words and in our hearts, people are attracted to that. Verse 2, chapter 11 says, I will trust in the Lord and I will not be afraid. And so my question and what I'm wondering is, 3,000 years ago, God uses Isaiah to bring judgment for pride and arrogance it purifies them and they turn back to the Lord and he restores a remnant. He uses them to bring about salvation to the nations. And that story carries on today in our lives. And what does that look like for God to use us to bring hope and restoration to this world? I'm going to read you a story. It's a, it's a good five minutes long, so I want you to settle in a little bit. But it's a story of what I think this might look like in our day today. This is from alongside by a man named Drew Hill. It says, there's this one act play I've seen a dozen times. It opens with a little girl sitting center stage, smiling and holding a big juicy orange that represents her heart. The narrator begins, meet Sally Smith. She's an average all-American five-year-old girl. Her favorite pastimes are helping mom in the kitchen, playing Play-Doh, visiting grandma, and going to preschool. A fun and exciting life. Lots of love and security. But then one day, things changed. Sally is told by her mother that her parents are getting divorced. Sally cries and her mother tries to convince her that everything's going to be okay. Her mother says Sally can visit her dad one weekend each month and he might even take her to the zoo. Sally, left alone in her room, begins asking some hard questions. Daddy, don't you love me anymore? Did I do something wrong? And Mommy, 
Mom, you must not love me either, otherwise you wouldn't send Daddy away. With soft music playing in the background, Sally tears a piece from the orange and throws it into the distance. It feels as if a piece of her heart has been torn apart. In the next scene, a character portraying the devil introduces himself. Sally, I don't, you, don't, you don't know me, but I'm your friend. And it sure sounds as if something terrible has happened to you. But don't worry, I've got just what you need. I've got some toys for you. The first toy he gives her is called the Twig of Bitterness. He instructs her to use it to protect her heart. He promises that the little twig will prick anyone who dares to come near. He gives her some nails to protect her as well, a nail of anger, to wound those who hurt her, a nail of jealousy, a rod of blame. The play continues and Sally becomes a teenager. She gives her heart away to her high school boyfriend, Mike. Over the years, more and more pieces of the orange are ripped off, and eventually, even Mike doesn't want her ugly heart anymore. When he gives it back, she melts in devastation. At the end of a rope, and not knowing where to turn, the devil shows up again. He reminds Sally about the twig of bitterness and shows her how it's now grown into a full thorn bush. Use this to protect your heart, he says. Then he gives Sally a pair of headphones and says, Wear these all the time. Stay busy and distracted, and you won't have to think about the pain and loneliness. He takes dark sunglasses and places them over her eyes, saying, These negative glasses will give you a whole new perspective on life and show you how things really are. Throughout the skit, Jesus comes onto the scene asking Sally, Will you let me love you? Being present but not pushy. At one point, Sally finally offers him her heart. But when Jesus holds it, because of the thorns pressing in, it hurts her and she takes it back. Sally runs to the devil and tells him her heart hurts when people try to love her. So he gives her, her his armor all protection plan and he takes her heart and he wraps it in aluminum foil. Now, no one can ever hurt you again. When I see Sally, I picture so many of my actual friends that are teenagers. There are negative glasses covering their eyes, headphones covering their ears. In one hand, they're holding anger, jealousy, bitterness, and blame. And in the other, a broken heart covered by aluminum foil, not letting anyone in. As Sally sleeps on stage, the narrator speaks over the music. As time goes by, we find Sally run down from all the activities, still with a gnawing dissatisfaction inside. Her toys aren't enough, but she holds on to them because there's no other alternative. Sally wakes up and begins wrestling with thoughts. I wonder if there's more to life than these toys, like God or something. I wonder if he even exists, or for that matter, I wonder if he knows I exist. Even if he did, I doubt he'd care about anyone like me, especially if he knew all I've done. God, I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of what you might see. I'm afraid of what you might ask. But if your love is big enough to reach down, ah, this is stupid. I'm better off just playing and pretending things are okay than talking to the air. Jesus then removes her headphones. Here, let me take some of the busyness for your life. It only keeps you from hearing me. You see, I came to give hearing to the deaf. Sally lets him remove the glasses. They only distort your vision and keep you from seeing me as I really am. I came to give sight to the blind. Gradually, Sally surrenders all of her toys to Jesus. Then he asks for her heart. But it's torn and ugly. I don't even want to look at it. Every time I've given my heart away, I've been hurt. My parents, my friends, Mike, even Satan, they all deceive me. How can you expect me to trust you? It's all I have left. Jesus gently replies, 
because I have died for you, because I love you, because there's no other way for you to be free. As Sally hands Jesus her aluminum-covered heart, he slowly peels back the foil. Underneath is a brand-new shiny orange. Sally, I came to heal the brokenhearted. The old has gone and new have come. God's promise of restoration, whether it be through Isaiah thousands of years ago, is the same today. That our brokenness, the brokenness that's happened to us, the pain in our lives that we have caused our own or that others have caused has a solution, has an answer. There's plenty of judgment for all those things, but God's judgment is meant to bring life. Scripture says that in repentance, times of refreshing may come. I believe God to be a God who is always oriented to life. He understands and he works in the reality of death and of pain. But just like this time, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, he came to redeem a people for himself. So whether you are a teenage girl in the year 2020, or whether you are an Israelite 3,000 years ago, the story is the same. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So whether you need saved from your sin, by meeting Christ as your Savior, to be delivered from punishment, or whether you need saved from the deep, deep, desperate need to get affirmation from other people, or whether you need saved from a trial that is not your own choosing, the answer is the same. Jesus Christ saves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are always faithful. I thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I thank you that in your perfect love, you ushered us in and gave us opportunity, gave us chance to be purified from our own arrogance. I thank you for your constant mercy that you pour out to me when I continue to trust in other things. I thank you that you keep showing me your goodness and that I can proclaim that you are so good to me. I thank you for the promise of restoration for all time. I pray for those that are deeply afraid to give their heart to you, that you would break down those barriers, that you would allow them to see your glory and your majesty and your love. I stand against Satan and his toys that he tries to keep us in bondage and in slavery. Just like the nations that surrounded Israel, God, invade our heart like you invaded Israel to redeem them, redeem us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.